Well, hello, everyone, and we are in Acts chapter 28. Can you believe it? When we started, we knew we had 28 chapters, and you think it's going to take forever to get there and how quickly we are in our last week. But can you imagine who we've met and um, how many miles we've traveled? When you think about Acts is predominantly about the start of the church and once Jesus um, ascended into heaven, then he gave the commission to his disciples, now turned apostles. They're going to be sent out first to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the uttermost parts of the world, and that we have watched in this book of Acts. And when you think about the story of Peter and John and the apostles in Jerusalem, and then the stoning of Stephen, then the persecution started, and and that sent Philip into Samaria area, and and then his his dealing with the Ethiopian eunuch, and and you just watch all these apostles gradually get dispersed throughout, and then of course we see Cornelius and the start of the apostles going into Gentile territory, you know, and the Samaritans they're half Jew and then half Gentile, but then then we moved into complete Gentile territory and Paul's conversion and how the Lord had it planned for him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And even though he was a Jew, he then he, he then would go into the synagogues and they would refuse him. And he then said, then I'm going to, I'm going to the Gentiles. And that is exactly what God intended. He knew all this, like he knows everything. And he had it all planned. And then, and then we've been in, we've been on missionary journeys, and we've watched Barnabas and Silas, and and uh, we well, we just we have just been a lot of places and met, met a lot of people, and wonderful, wonderful models for us to look at because, um, as you saw that. The book of Acts does not have an ending, really. And that's because the gospel is to continue. We are still sent out, all of us, you, me. We are, we are called and sent out to bring this gospel to the world. And uh, so, anyway, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true, and it is all that I need. Heavenly Father, thank you for this year of Bible study and these 28 chapters that taught us so much and took us so many places and helped us meet so many wonderful people. Lord, we, we know that your word is to teach us and you use so many different ways from the actual words of Jesus to spirit-filled men who have experienced experienced you to the fullest. Lord, we thank you that Paul himself was so sold out first to, to the religious sect, Pharisee, to Judaism, and then, then he met Jesus and how his life changed and what he has taught us. Father, we thank you for Paul and his life and, and his writings. So now as we delve into this last chapter, Lord, we just pray you will open our eyes and ears, that you will help us to spiritually see what we are to see. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, last week we had the shipwreck and, and we learned, didn't we, how, how Paul, even, even though... Um, he knew because the Lord had told him, and he first said to them, "Don't, don't leave. We are going, we're going to experience loss of ship and cargo and tackle, and and you know we could even lose life. So let's just stay put." And they didn't want to do that, so they didn't listen, and so they they went out, and sure enough, the northeaster hit, and and for fourteen days. And nights they were out on the sea just being tossed about. And how the Lord used Paul in this opportunity with the centurion and how he was able to share with them about his life and Jesus and 
And then he said to them that the angel of God, the God who he belongs to, and the God who, who he's serving, had told him that, that they were going to all live, every one of them, but the ship would be destroyed. And, well, we know what God says he does, and that's exactly what happened. So the last of last week was that the ship was all broken apart. The prisoners, well, they were going to be killed because um, the soldiers knew that they would be killed if any of them escaped. So they were just going to kill all the prisoners. And then the centurion, who really developed a love for Paul, decided that to save Paul, they all were going to be saved. And so this is all part of God's plan, though. The centurion had no idea, really, did he, that he was being used by God to accomplish what God had promised. So now the last verse of 27 is the rest were to get there to shore on planks. Some of them were swimming, and some of them were going to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship in this way. Everyone reached land in safety. So now 28, once safely on shore. So now remember, we have, we have Paul, we have Luke, who's writing the book of Acts. And then we have a man that we saw and were introduced to last week, Aristarchus. He was a Macedonian from Thessalonica. He's along, so that's who the we is. And then, and then along with 270, you know, there's 276 total. That's a lot of people. And so they all got on the island safely. And this island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. Now, I didn't say anything last week, and, and uh, I'm glad I didn't because today, I think today's lesson really shows that God, when he promises, not only does he fulfill his promise, but he, he has provisions. If we look at our lives, if we look back, we can see that God always provided the right thing or the right person, right place, right time. And in last week, I had you look up verses like in Philippians 4, 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in glory. Paul wrote that. And then in Matthew 6, Jesus said, your heavenly father knows, your heavenly father knows, he knows what you have need of. Matthew 7, 11, Jesus said, that is, is the heavenly father gives good gifts to those who ask him. And then Jesus says in Luke 12, God feeds the birds and how much more valuable you are to him than the birds. Just reminders that God knows what we need and he's promised to come through with what we need. And here in this chapter, we see how God has put right people, right place, right time. So now they're on the island of Malta, and they, 276 of them, are now being, being cared for, actually, with unusual kindness. You know, that word is, is such a, ooh, it's such a good word, kindness. Do you, it's so much more than just being nice. Kindness is really quite a selfless action. When you show kindness to somebody, of course it's being nice, but, but it's a deeper, it's so much deeper than just being superficial nice. Kindness is when you're willing to put yourself aside for someone else. I'm reminded in 2 Samuel chapter 9 where, where after David was crowned king and, and he had every legal, he had every legal um, reason to be able to kill all of Saul's family off. And he said one day, he said, is there anybody in the house of Saul that I can show God's kindness to? And, and someone said, well, yes, there is a man named Mephibosheth. He was, he's Jonathan's son. 
And he lives on the outskirts of town. I mean, it's two crippled feet. And, and David says, go get him and bring him here. And when you think of Mephibosheth and he's living on the outskirts of town, probably knowing the, knowing the law, which, which he knew that David had every right or could, was allowed to, kill the whole house of Saul off. I'm sure he's thinking out of sight, out of mind. I'm not going to live smack dab in the town. I'm going to live outside. Hopefully he won't even know I exist. Or maybe because he had two crippled feet and he was handicapped, he wasn't valued. And so he just lived his life outside of town. And so when the knock came at his door, can you imagine when he when he was found out when when the person at the at the door said the king wants to see you? I'm sure he figured his life was over. Well, when he when he went to the king and David saw that he was so fearful, he said, "Do not be afraid. I'm going to give you back everything, all the land that your grandfather had." I'm going to give that back to you. You deserve it. I can, I can just envision his jaw just dropping because he's thinking that he is, his life is over, and instead he is given this gift, his, all of his grandfather's land, and then David wasn't done. He said, I'm moving you and your family back here. In fact, I'm, I'm going to have you eating at my table. Your family. You know, when David said that, when he said, is there anybody left in the house of Saul that I could show God's kindness to? I mean, this changed Mephibosheth's life. That, that mere act of kindness changed his life. Mephibosheth's whole life, his future. Sometimes when the Lord wants to activate his kindness in us, it might seem insignificant at the time when he, when he brings someone to your mind or kind of nudges you to call or make a contact or maybe make a meal or, or do something that will probably cost you some time, maybe some money, I don't know. But when he calls you to do an act of kindness, you have no idea. Only God knows how your act of kindness that he is working through you can fulfill his promise that he will use you to be the provisions that he promised that we as his children will have. He will provide for us. In fact, I had to thank somebody for sending us a great big box of beautiful Omaha meats. I mean, you talk about a gift and it just showed up at the door. And I, I wrote them and I said to them, I said, thank you for your kindness, for your putting yourself aside so that we can have this. And, and how I know that the Lord doesn't just let white boxes come out of heaven. Someone, he had to put that thought into someone's mind. And that, because of that, the Lord supplied our needs in such a beautiful way. But the Lord did not drop that out of glory. The Lord, the, everything is the Lord's anyway, but the Lord had to use somebody's tangible thought and heart and, and calling on the phone and ordering and sending it. But I'll tell you, maybe that box didn't change our lives, but it spoke volumes. And it just showed again how the Lord has, has he's working through his people so that our needs can be met. And I hope and pray that when the Lord tells me to do something, 
that I could be that monumental in kindness that it will be just what someone might need and I don't even realize it, but the Lord does. Because this here, this act of kindness by these islanders, can you imagine? Remember what time of year it is. We've talked about that. And so that water had to be cold. So they're cold and it's raining and it's kind of like that chill right to your bone kind of thing. And it's not just a couple people. You're talking 276 people and these islanders put themselves aside and they are going to build a fire so that these these people, that these people's needs can be met. I, being that Luke was there, I appreciated his, his um, word to describe kindness, unusual kindness. I mean, this had to be watching the Lord's provisions through these islanders. Because, you know, to have so many, having to, to help so many. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood. Isn't that typical Paul? I mean, after having this shipwreck, and he's cold, and he's wet, and, and he's probably aching, and yet this servant's heart, how good is that? Always wanting to serve don't you want that? Don't, don't you just so hope and pray that your character is being changed to have the character of Christ? Paul had that. And if, if there's a need, let's see if I can help here. So he's gathering this brushwood and he's putting it on the fire and a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. Oh, it just gives me chills when you think about that. If you could picture that. And as my grandson once taught me, you don't say a poisonous snake, you say venomous. And this venomous snake didn't just kind of nip at him. It fastened itself to Paul's hand. I mean, it was taking a bite. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. They didn't really know this gang. They probably saw that this was a ship that was filled with prisoners, and so they assumed that the prisoners being saved you know, that their, their lives weren't lost. They, <laughs> these, these people on Malta thought, well, you know what, justice, justice is going to be served, you know. He might have made it through that shipwreck, but he is not going to live because he doesn't deserve to. So they automatically thought he was a murderer. He took a life, now his life. But that wasn't the story at all, was it? Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up and suddenly fall dead. Boy, that must have been quite the venomous viper. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. That's quite a contrast, isn't it? I mean, within seconds, they're thinking he's a criminal that should, you know, should die because he took a life. To all of a sudden now, they have him transformed into this God. How quick we can just change our tune. You know, back in Acts 23, 11, and last week we saw in Acts 27, 23 to 25, we, we saw, we heard 
God promised Paul that he would go to Rome. Jesus said in, in Acts 23 that you must testify in Rome. That, that's, what, that's what Paul heard straight from Jesus. Now, you think of what's happened since Paul heard that he was going to Rome and he was told that by God himself. You think of what he's been through. That plot, remember how the, the Jewish leaders, they were plotting to kill Paul because they knew that he wouldn't get a trial, that they wanted it to go a certain way. They wanted Paul to be, you know, killed. And, but, you know, Felix Festus, King Agrippa, I mean, they knew they had no proof, and so these Romans weren't going to stamp that, that death sentence on Paul. And so they thought, well, we got to take matters into our own hands. So they plotted, they conspired to kill. And then remember Paul's nephew heard about it? Told Paul. Paul then told the nephew to tell the centurion. And, well, the plot failed. You think about the trials before Felix and Festus and, and how, they, how Paul was just stood there, it was falsely accused. I mean, they had no proof. And yet, you know, look how the Lord just saw to it that nothing happened. And then when you think about him being in imprisoned there for two years, and how the Lord just opened doors of opportunity for him, and it could have been such a different scenario, but God said that Paul would go to Rome. And then last week, you see this horrendous storm where they all said, it looks hopeless, we're not going to make it. Look what Paul's been through. And really, I could have gone back all through Paul's life and in, in, in his uh, you know, since he was converted. And boy, when the Lord said he was going to use Paul, and I think of how he was left for dead and how he was beaten and imprisoned. And there's so many instances that Paul could have lost his life. And now we just see one more thing, a, a snake bite, which generally is death. But when God promises, I'm thinking that should be such an encouragement for us because you and I are not going to leave this earth a second. I was going to say a minute, but I'm going to say a second. We're not going to leave this earth a second early or a second late. Think of how, how fearful we get, how panic do we get, how we cling to this earthly life for dear life. I know we all have been created with the love to live, but we should, we should loosen the grip because God's plan, God's promise for every one of us is that he will fulfill his purpose. And when the purpose is over, then we will then go to glory. When our mission is done, and he knows, he knows the exact second. I think, oh, just relax a little bit. We have a sovereign God whose plan is in motion. Every one of us has that. Then why do we let fear and worry overtake us? We've talked about these emotions that just want to overtake us. But here's such an example of how the Lord provides when he promises. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius. He's the chief official of the island. So I would say he's definitely a, a leader, high official. 
He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. Now, I don't know if we're, if we're talking um, Luke and Paul and, you know, just the, the private Aristarchus, the private Paul team here. I don't know. Or did he take all 276? That we don't know. But, but Luke writes that, that this chief official welcomed us in his home for three days. That had to be. I mean, when you think of being on this ship and going through what they went through and then, and then you know, getting on that island and they're cold and wet and they, they've lost, remember, they threw everything overboard. So they have nothing. And then to be welcomed in a home, there's no place like hospitality in a home when you have nothing. And this had to be such a warm welcome to, to have. And that's why Luke wrote these words. For three days, they entertained us hospitably. How lovely. How wonderful. They probably had to warm up and maybe sleep in a good bed or eat some good food and relax a little bit. His father, Publius, his father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with supplies we needed. How, how good when people work together. This is what an undivided, I mean, they have so many differences. I mean, we don't, we don't know the religious sect of these people. We don't know who they worship. All we know is that they thought Paul was a god, and that's little G, so they believed in more than one god, obviously. But we are watching the Lord use Paul in this opportunity, and they're all working together. What an example. What, what, a, what a chance for Paul and the team to be able to to be Jesus. The Lord opened this door, this opportunity, and you watch Paul and his team. They're, they're just working with these people, and they're just, it just works. When God is in the middle, it just works. And the, the last thing you see here is division. So now, remember, they have nothing, and so they need everything to be able to continue their journey, all 276 people, and now they have been given all the supplies they need. After three months, we put out to sea. So they stayed with them. What a, what a time. Three months is, is 90 days, and that's, a, that's such a good time to build relationships. I wonder how many stories Paul told. I wonder, I wonder, um, you know, Luke doesn't tell us, but you know Paul didn't remain silent for 90 days. And the way they were all working together, oh, when three months were up, then they were put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island, and it was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. Now, Luke made sure we know that. Now, you know, you look at that and you read that, and if you don't stop for a second, you wonder, well, you know, what, just keep reading. You know, there was a ship. It was heading to Rome, and how fortunate there it was, and, and so what if... But Luke makes sure that we know that 
this Alexandrian sh ship. And I looked it up, and it's interesting to know some some things about this Alexandrian ship. It, it was a cargo ship. It was a three-masted schooner, so it was large. And its chief city, where it usually is, where it comes from, is Egypt, in Egypt. So it's mainly in Egypt and just happens to be on its way to Italy and happened to be there as God would have it. But I, I look at that and I think, but, but why is it so important that Luke tell us that on the, the, on the figurehead of this ship, uh, or on the, top, on the tip of this ship, there, there was these two figures of twin gods, Castor and Pollux. I mean, it probably made them quite uncomfortable. I mean, when you have these other gods, when you're so 100% convinced of only one god, and then, ooh, you almost think, do I want to get on that ship? And Because look at that insignia. Look at, look at the head of that ship are these two gods. I started thinking about that. I thought, okay, in my career, how many, how many times, and this was, this was really such a neat experience for me, to go back and think about some of the times where I felt uncomfortable, like, like maybe, maybe I don't quite belong here. And yet, as I was thinking about all of these places, I thought, but everyone was an open door opportunity and I had to put aside maybe what made me feel uncomfortable. I'll, I'll tell you a couple. One time I was going to sing in Nuevo and it was for, uh, oh, it's on a Sunday afternoon. It was kind of like a, a big picnic and and they told me when I got there, they said, this is where we want you to sing. And I could not believe my eyes because I have never seen a blown-up beer can that huge. And yet that is exactly where they wanted me to sing, right from there, right by that beer can, Big Balloon. I thought, oh, no, I don't believe it, but this... this I said to him, I said, well, you do realize when you ask me that I, I sing about Jesus. You, you knew that. Oh, yeah, we know. No, you just do what you want. But this is where the people are going to conjugate, so this is where we want you to perform. So there I am. I'm performing by the big old huge balloon beer can. And then one time, uh, Tom and I were with this group of people, and we were... Um, traveling the Snake River, and our overnight, our overnight accommodations were at this camp. And we met for our supper in this room, and there was an old upright piano, and they said, well, now, would you sing us some songs? And so I went to the piano, and, and all of a sudden, I looked up above that piano, and I never saw so many neon I mean, just flashing neon liquor announcements. I mean, I was in circle properly with all of these neon announcements about different and various um, alcoholic beverages. And there I'm singing, pounding that upright piano. And I thought, oh dear, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And then, oh, what transpired from that? But singing in that tavern, the people I was able to talk to about Jesus, same thing in Nuevo. And then, then oh, goodness, I mean, when I sang for Melt Life and, and then I sang for a big conference for engineers and for car dealerships and for Shriners, I mean, there have been so many times that I maybe when I got there, I thought, oh, is this, should I be doing this? 
Is this, is this good? Is this a good testimony? But then when I would ask them, I would say, do you expect me to change who I am? Oh, no, do what you have to do. Do what you want. That's what we asked you for. I thought, okay. One time I was in this huge hangar at Langley Air Force Base in Virginia. Now, I know there was nothing wrong with this, but, but I'm a gospel singer, and I'm in, in this hangar with all these military, and I said to the, the chaplain who asked, and I said, now, it's okay. I mean, you expect me. I sing about Jesus, right? That's fine. Oh, did we have a great time at Langley. One time, too, I was on the flight line at Shaw Air Force Base in, in South Carolina. 30,000 people on this flight line, and, and I'm asked to sing. And I thought, Lord, how can you use me here? Am I in the right place? And... He said, yes, you are. This is where I placed you. And I remember singing songs there. And the next day when I was in one of the churches, then the preacher got up and he says, yesterday it was so unlikely that when I was on the flight line, I wasn't expecting this. And then all of a sudden a sister got up there and sang songs of Zion. And then one time I was in Tinker Air Force Base and I was in the middle of an AWACS biplane. And the pilot, the colonel, afterwards, after showing us so, I mean, it was such a privilege to be able to see that. And, and I know not too many people get to see that. And I thought, oh, man, what am I doing here on an AWACS spy plane? And just as I'm thinking that, I turn around, and this colonel's tears running down his face. And he says, I just feel like that you were brought here because my life is a mess, and I just need someone to tell me what I need to do next. You know, sometimes we might feel uncomfortable in some of these situations, but the Lord knows how, how he can use us in places maybe where we least expect. I've been in more prisons than I can count. I've been in smoke-filled VFWs. But every time when I'm asked to come, I'll say to them, but you're not going to try to tell me what to do, are you? You're not going to try to change me. And the more that I am seeing, go ye into all the world. I, I, remember, I remember singing at, um, at race car events. What an opportunity. That one time, one time I had that one guard who was standing there checking all of our credentials. He didn't know who I was from Adam, and yet he kept watching me going through, through the, to the track and back, back and forth. And, and finally he just said to me, he said, I just feel like I'm supposed to ask you. I lost my son two years ago, and I can't get a, a handle on it. But I remember many times, I remember many times thinking in these different instances, but I don't anymore because I think, you know what, if I, even though it might not be my world or it might be someplace where I feel uncomfortable or the Lord can just open these doors of opportunities. And I have just seen too many. I just gave you a few examples. And I've just watched the Lord say, you just go into all the world and you just make sure that you're available. I mean, he makes sure that I don't fall into temptation to fall into maybe some, some riotous living or whatever, that I join with their behavior or whatever. No, but I just... I've just seen too much. I've watched Jesus too much. Sometimes you go where you're least expected. And if you are faithful, the Lord opens the doors. And I think this was one. I, I know I spent a lot of time here, but it just brought me back to so many times when I'm thinking, I bet they're thinking, 
I bet they're thinking, whoa, I don't know, this ship doesn't look like our kind, and it looks like, it looks like I'm, I'm kind of for these two gods if I'm getting on this ship. And the Lord knows your heart. He knew their heart, and he knew that this was going to be a great possibility of opportunity. I think that's why Luke wrote about it. I mean, why he, why he made sure that we saw the details of this particular ship. It's just another example of going into all the world. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Rigium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Petruli. There we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. There we found some brothers. That had to be one welcome sight. And sure enough, the brothers there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. Such a small detail, but a familiar face. One kind of like one of your own kind that understands me. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Now, that alone is opportunity. It says, with a soldier to guard him. Well, you know that he doesn't have the same soldier for 24 hours a day. Impossible. So when, when the guards would change, he had one-on-one, one-on-one opportunity with these guards. And you think, well, that's just one. You think about how he used to preach you know, to the throngs of people. Remember, that never bothered Paul. He, he wasn't out for the numbers as far as his availability and his willingness Remember how he would, he would speak to the crowds or he would go house to house. He knew that the Lord opened doors of opportunity. You think of how many times he was able to be used when they're, when they're on that ship, even with the, the two gods that are, that are protruding out the front and you know Paul is never missing an opportunity, whether it be with the, the soldiers on the ship, whether it be the, the prisoners on the ship. And now, once he's reached Rome, he now is in this house, house arrest, and he's guarded by a guard that probably keeps changing one-on-one. -on -one. That is such good ministry, I mean, I think of the times I would sing in front of, of numbers, but I would dare say that some of the best ministry happened after. When I would be one-on-one -on -one with somebody. See, we just have to open up our minds and our hearts to let the Lord use us wherever I've mentioned this song before, but, you know, through it all, have we really gotten to that point where through his word, we have depended on his word, we've, we're depending on the Holy Spirit's voice, through it all, I'm learning that the Lord knows what he's doing with me. He knows what he's doing with you through it all. And that's why I'm determined to keep Bible study going because that's how we get through it all. The more we learn, the more we depend on his word. We believe that his word is true and every word of it is. And, and it's all that we really need. He is sufficient for us. You don't really know that until you've been there. 
and you take the time to learn and mature and grow and, and experience. And when we are finished with Acts, and we're going to see that when Paul is in that two, in the, the two years of house arrest here, he will write his letters to the people of Ephesians, to the people of, of Philippi, so Philippians. He writes his letter to the Colossians. I mean, this, this man never wasted a minute. And that's what I want to get through my brain as, as we change and as, the, as maybe we can't do what we used to do. That doesn't give us a license to just let go and feel like we're not worth it anymore. We should be asking the Lord, how can you use me? Before I came to record today, I visited an elderly lady who was pretty much homebound, and, and she was such an active lady, and she loved being everywhere and in her church and serving and here at Bible study, and, and now she can hardly maneuver. She can't stand up more than a second or two, and then she's got to sit down. She gets so tired, and, and oh, I just saw her. I just came from there, and she still just sparkles. She just sparkles with Jesus. She's so content. She's so willing to let the Lord use her. No, she can't do what she used to do, but now he's just showing her a whole different way of ministry. So, you know, it's so easy human nature-wise to just feel that we're not worth it anymore. Paul could have just said, oh, I had a great ministry, you know. But look, we would be without Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I mean, I would say half of the New Testament is Paul's writings that he no doubt wrote when he was imprisoned. What a good lesson for us. So now, verse 17, three days later, we called together the leaders of the Jews. Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, I appreciate him doing that. That he, he still, remember how he always used to go in a new city. He would always go to the synagogue first. He always tried with those Jews. He never gave up on his heritage and his people. And he wanted them to know, so he called my brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors. I was arrested in Jerusalem, handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any, cha any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason, I've asked to see you and talk with you. He's just trying to get them to understand who he is and what he's doing and why. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. He obviously, even though he was under house arrest, he still had a chain on him. He was a prisoner, no denying it. And then he says, you know why? You know why I am in prison? Because of the hope of Israel, the hope of the whole Old Testament. We Israelites, we Jews, we hung on to the promise that a Savior was going to come. And when he came, many, most Jews wouldn't listen because maybe he didn't look or maybe his birth wasn't the way they figured of their king because they so wanted their king to free them 
earthly freedom. If they, they wanted their king to free him from the Roman rule. And because they just closed their eyes and their hearts, spiritual eyes and hearts, from seeing who he was, even though it was different than what they thought, if they had really studied the scriptures, it was perfectly the way they should have thought because it was all foretold. But because in their heads, see, as humans, we can just miss so much by, it's not the way I wanted, it's not the way I imagined it to be. And so because of that, they're missing it. And Paul's trying to get them to see, I am in chains because these Jews would not believe that Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah. He came, he died, he rose. He ascended and he's coming again. They will not I'm in chains because of their stubbornness to believe what was promised for hundreds of years. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. I'm sure Paul thought, well, good. All right, I'm going to start then. I'm but we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. Oh, they did hear that. They heard, oh, that this sect, this, this group called Christians, they believe a whole nother way. Well, we've heard about that. So um, seeing that, you know, and you are, we're willing to listen. We want to know your, your views on this. Oh, I, I bet this perked up, Paul. I bet he thought, Oh, right. What an opportunity. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. So they came in themselves and then they brought people on. So there was a number of people. And from morning until evening, all day, he explained and declared Oh, and she just left up in there. From morning to night, he told about Jesus. He told experiences. He probably told them stories of what he had been through. He told them, he declared, he explained to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to use their language saying, see, see where Isaiah said this? See, where, where this prophet said this, and, and see, that's who they were talking about. He had proof. He tried to explain who Jesus was from what the prophets foretold. He tried to explain to them that this kingdom of God that Jesus came to bring was not an earthly one, but a kingdom of God that now we would be able to have within us. We carry the Holy Spirit of God within us. The kingdom of God starts now within us. You know, when we think of the kingdom of God, so often we automatically go to heaven. We go to a place. And the only way I can explain it, the kingdom of God starts within us at the day of our conversion when the Holy Spirit God and in the person of the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. The kingdom of God begins. I always say the kingdom of God starts within us and ends up in a place. Someday, yes, we will get to the new heaven and the new earth and be a part of God's kingdom where he will reign forever and ever. But don't just sit and think, oh, someday, someday, the kingdom of God starts in our heart. Right now, the day of our salvation, some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. You know, that's nothing new, is it? It is a choice, and... It's your choice. It's my choice, and it's their choice. I mean, it's not that difficult. I mean, do you want to believe in this story that he he talked about and preached and proclaimed, and and 
declared, and I'm sure he was so convincing, and yet you can turn it off and say, no. I mean, this is where the choice comes in. You either say yes and accept that gospel story to be yours, or you can say no. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. I give him credit. He goes back into scripture and he, it's like, I was warned about this. I am convinced that it breaks his heart. I mean, we've talked about this before. I mean, you look at someone who has that choice in front of them, and when they choose no, you can't even, why would you say no to this? When you've been given that choice, I pray you choose wisely because it is going to affect you not only now but for all eternity. And yes, when someone walks away, and I've had that happen when I've, I offered the plan of salvation to them and showed them how much Jesus loved them and as a plan. And, and they, they just say, no, it's not for me. And I watch them get up and walk away. And, and you know, sometimes it's so-called good church people. We talked about the difference in believe with your head versus believe in your heart. You can believe the facts, but if it doesn't become a part of you, and if it doesn't change your life, if it's just you know a religious knowledge that you have, and you don't think you need to surrender, you don't think that you need to give up yourself, deny yourself. Jesus said it so clearly. If you want to be a follower of mine, this is the, this is the term. These are the requirements that you deny yourself and you take up the cross. You take up this life and you follow me. It might not be the life you chose. It might be, not be the life that you expected. But you just follow me. Because I have a promise, and I've got provisions, and I want to give you life to the fullest. And it's not going to be the fullest until you surrender it at all. So yeah, the, Paul's watching. He can see that some of their ears turned off. He could see that they're starting to get restless, and now they're going to get up and leave. And so he goes back. And, re- and remembers the prophet of Israel, Isaiah himself. When Isaiah w- said these words, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seen but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn. And I would heal them. Isaiah is writing the words of the Lord saying, it's up to them. They're going to hear, but if they don't want to understand, if they don't seek, they will not find. If they don't ask, it won't be given. If they don't knock, the door won't be open. And they, you think you just don't need them. Sometimes you can just hear it so much and then you say no so many times that your heart just gets calloused. And, and the Lord wanted Isaiah to write because if you would have just made the other choice, if you would have just said yes, you would have watched your spiritual eyes and ears open and all of a sudden you're seeing and hearing things you can't even imagine. It's so beyond You're watching your heart change. You're watching yourself become more Christ-like. 
And you're seeing less and less of yourself, yourself or self. And you're starting to see the kindness of God work through you to others. And you can hardly believe it. It's such a beautiful change. But if you don't want it, you stay blind, you stay deaf to it. You stay callous, your heart is callous to it. You're going to miss life. Not only abundant here, but for all eternity there. It is a wake-up call. And just always remember that it's, well, today is the day of salvation. We can never put it off because we none of us knows what tomorrow is going to bring. But the promise is there. He's saying, you know what, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been, if you make the choice to come to the cross and you come to Jesus, he is standing there just, I think you'll hear him say, I've been waiting for you. He said, and he promised, that if you are willing to come humbly and surrender it all, all to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. What a way to live. And if we come to him in that kind of humility, Isaiah wrote, and Paul is quoting Isaiah's words and the words the Lord gave him, if you would do that, he will. He will heal. He will heal you from yourself and your sin and from having to go through judgment and having to go to hell. He's just waiting. That's what Paul, I mean, that had to, that had to speak volumes as they are rudely getting up and walking out. That real, that realism right there should have grabbed him around the neck. Verse 28, therefore, Paul says, I want you to know. Luke is writing this, I know, but Paul is saying that, therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. But Luke made sure that he got this down that when Paul finished saying that, he said to them, okay, therefore, you've been warned, and I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. You are not listening, and so this message will go to the Gentiles, and they will listen. It will go to anyone. It will go to anyone who is willing to listen. Don't think that just because you're God's chosen people, no, if you don't listen, you're going to be lost. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Oh, I bet that was something, wasn't it? Just to knock on his door and then one-on-one -on -one be able to... I would have just loved to pick his brain. I mean, I would, just, I would have had a bazillion questions I would have just love to see the joy in his face, the confidence that he that just came out of him, the fruit of the spirit that just oozed from every pore of his body. Wasn't it wonderful though that even though he's imprisoned, so to speak, he still had the opportunity for people to come and he was able to share, and boy he did, Luke wrote, boldly and without hindrance. He preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the message. It's all about Jesus. Is your life all about Jesus? That's when you're going to know that you have begun to live, when your life is all about Jesus. And that's why I said at the beginning, Acts kind of ends Strangely, don't you think? I mean, there's no real ending. 
Well, when Luke wrote this to Theophilus, he was saying, I just have to tell you how the church started. And the commission is to go into all the world and get this message everywhere. And boy, these apostles did a bang-up job. And it's gotten, it's really gone far. Thank the Lord for people like Paul and Stephen and Peter and John and all those who were willing for Aquila and Priscilla and for, for all of those who got on the bandwagon. All of those people that said yes to the gospel of the Lord Jesus and because it changed them so much, they couldn't keep it quiet. I don't think that when we really understand what eternal death is like, I don't think we would want that for our worst enemy, let alone someone we love. But do we really care about the souls of mankind? Because it is a choice. But how can they know unless they hear? And how are they going to hear unless we are willing to tell them? That was Paul's practical advice in Romans 10. And that's why Acts doesn't end. Because until Jesus comes again, until we're a part of the new heaven and the new earth, we have a job to do, and we should be loving to do it. How much do you love Jesus? Has he changed you enough that you care about the soul of another, and you really don't care what people think of you? You just want to make sure that for all eternity, someone does not get before Jesus and say, no one ever told me. And why don't we tell? What are we embarrassed of? I'll tell you, the love of Jesus just came out of these apostles. And they weren't always popular. And they bear the scars. But I would dare say, if they could choose a song, they would sing. And this is what I, I want to be able to sing this song. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. All trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face and all sorrow will erase. So let's bravely run this race for the cause of our Savior, Jesus, until we see him face to face. Heavenly Father, thank you for acts. And may in our hearts, may we see and have the passion to continue this. That we see it's, it's not ending. We have got a job to do. And Father, in our little part of the world, may we let the light of Christ shine through us. It will be worth it all. In his name we pray, amen.